So, you know, I'm like, wow, seriously? I thought I was over that. I've repented. I asked God forgiveness. I even received some level of grace in the whole thing. And yet here I am still. So, you know, what happens is, is I realize um, how, you know, kind of like those things when you, the older you get, the more you realize you really don't know and maybe never did know. But yet you can't give up. I mean, you can't hang out there. That's, that's nowhere. That's despair. And that's the opposite of hope. So instead we have hope, which tells us that even in light of what I know, the truth of my life, kind of like, remember I said, daddy said a couple years ago, you know, years ago when I was young, uh, a couple, <laughs> a long time ago, he said, there's, there's two people at the end of the day, there's two people who know what you did, what your day was like. I thought that meant him. I, I was like, how did you find out? And uh, that's me. That's the perpetrator, and that's God. So you can run, but you can't hide. And so with that, what we need is we find this amazing thing. My sister says, um, she says, uh, do you think I'm saved? Now, this is my little sister, and, and I'm pretty sure she is saved. By the way, I don't know if you're started or not, but I'm starting. Um, so hi, Cindy, if you're listening. But uh, she says, do you think I'm saved? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm quite sure that you are because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ and you've asked him to forgive your sins and you want to live your life for him, whatever that means. And so she says, well, do you think I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, uh, I said what do you say? Why are you asking me that question? She says, because somebody told me that if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I should speak in tongues. Oh, my, there's that big word, scary word. So I said, well, I said, do you have any other fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Have you ever invited the Holy Spirit to come into your life? So we talked about that for quite a while. And she says, here's why I'm saying, because I'm dealing with somebody else, and I think that their daughter, her daughter was talking about their life and how there's all this calamity and all this stuff that seems to be very she's wishy-washy. So she, she says hallelujah and praise God and amen here, but then she has all these issues in her life. She gets drunk and she ends up, she smokes, and there's a lot of things. And by the way, I'm not condemning anybody to hell for smoking here, um, but you got to hear from God on that. She says, because should a Christian, isn't that sinning against my body? And I said, well, preach to yourself, girl. I mean, so if you consider that sinning against your body, if it's going to damage your body, if it's going to then maybe you ought to just consider stopping. Oh, easy for you to say. No, no, I know that. I didn't say it's easy. I just said it's necessary. So it says that in Luke eleven thirteen says there's this passage that follows up from where Jesus, it says that um, you, being a good father, when your son asked for a piece of bread, wouldn't give him a rock. And when your, your kid asked for some fish, wouldn't give him a scorpion or a snake. How much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And it's one of the most interesting to me New Testament passages because we're talking about food and sustenance, and it's almost like on cue God says, wait a minute, my Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Because we're thinking about what we need to eat or drink. Remember what he said about food and drink? He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. See? And then he introduces what we really need above food and drink is we need the Holy Spirit. 
We need the Holy Spirit so we can live a victorious life. I call it the fuel so that the engine can actually run. The engine is this life. The fuel is what propels it. If we run out of gas, guess what happens? See? Or, like my car this morning, a dead battery. I need some juice. <laughs> I need so I was like, okay, I get it, God. Holy Spirit. So here's the word. God spoke years ago to me. I was like, God, what's it going to take to see victory in this town, in this community, in this church, in my life? What's it going to take, God? And he said, if you will be unhindered, unhindered, that then you will experience the unprecedented. And because of the unprecedented, you will be undaunted. Wow. Pretty cool words put all together. Unhindered, unprecedented, undaunted. Well, guess what? You ever feel like life is daunting? Like it's big, like some of the issues and you it's just like the stock market sometimes or something, just up and downs and never being able to really totally feel secure about things. And that's being daunted, if you will. I'm, I'm kind of like um, I've got anxiety and stresses and worry. Well, to be undaunted in everything that we do says that God puts his hand upon us. Peace will come upon us. How is that? Because of the Holy Spirit. The unprecedented part is that we would experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit unlike anything that, that we've known. We've read about it. We've heard about it. Other people have told us about things like that, but not me personally, see? Or I have just get little glimpses of it. So I'm telling you that the first key, and he gave it in that order, is to be unhindered, unhindered. I've been on, it's been at least a 10-year thing. I know Bob and Sue, if you were here, maybe it was a word that I gave 12 and a half years ago. Um, but it's been a long time, and it sits there, and it's one of those things that God just keeps bringing back up because I keep kind of forgetting about it. And he could bring it back up and say, if you'd be unhindered, if you'll lead the people to be unhindered, if you guys would be unhindered, then you'll experience the unprecedented. So what is it that besets us? What is it that hinders us? What is it that keeps us back? And, and I believe God's given me a couple of uh, cool little scenarios here. So I'm going to get into those because we've got some worship that we're going to come back up. And, and um, last weekend... Our worship team was, was at a conference where they were being stretched and challenged about, about praise and worship and about relationship with God and how that manifests in the church and um, what it should look like. And I want to tell you that uh, that's for all of us. It's not just for them. That's for us. We need to challenge ourselves of what it ought to look like in our lives. It should be very clear and obvious and evident that we don't have to tell people we're Christian. People will know that we're Christians. You get it? So here it is. Unhindered is to cause delay, interruption, or difficulty in, to hamper, impede, to cut production. I'm sorry, that's called hindered. Hindered. To cause delay, interruption, or difficulty in, to hamper, impede, or cut production. This morning, trying to get here for prayer at 10 o'clock, and I'm just running a little behind, and Arlene's not feeling good, and all of a sudden, I go out, nothing. Guess what? I was hindered. I wanted to do this, but all of a sudden, something didn't cooperate with me. So I'm not going to say Satan messed my battery up, okay? I'm just going to tell you that I might have left the light on, okay? To prevent from doing, acting, or happening, to stop. To be an obstacle or impediment, to harm, injure, or impair, to put 
or keep back. Those are things that would hinder you. So I'm trying to do this. Um, Let's say you're putting on your makeup this morning and foundation, and that's really important, I understand, because everything else goes on top of that. And, uh, and, And something happens, baby, let's say a brother, let's say a friend, and they're messing with you. Maddie's messing with you. And, and you do something, and you got it just right, and then she goes, mm, smears it. See what I mean? And you're kind of running in a hurry, and there's yelling, and the people are, we got to go, we got to do. And all of a sudden, you, every time you do something, she does something to mess you up. See what I mean? She's hindering you putting on your face, if you will. So we have that in different ways, and, and what we're going to discover this morning is a few things that Scripture says about it, that the, the Bible says. Here's, so the, the history of that word, unhindered, I say, God, what is it that hinders me? Okay, um, my eating habits hinders me. Okay, my language sometimes hinders me. Sometimes it's a matter of my attitude, my perspective. Sometimes it's a matter of being overwhelmed or the sense of, of the whole burden of life, if you will, that comes and hinders me. It, it, sometimes it shows up in your, in your emotions. It shows up on your face that you can tell somebody who's happy, if you know it. And their face will surely show it. And you can also see when they're not doing so good. And I think we ought to be carriers of the joy of God so that it becomes evident and it emanates from us. Amen? So to hinder is all these things that in the the end you could just say stumbling blocks. Can you say that? Say stumbling blocks. Now here's Hebrews 12. It's the first four verses. I'm going to read rather quickly. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, might be on the wall, surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Do you get the idea of a vine that grabs a hold of you and stuff that little, it's got those little, uh, whatever, like thorns and prickers and, and it just, it's not easy to, to get away. It let us run with endurance the race is, that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Wow. A lot of stuff in there. Lay aside every encumbrance, everything that is meant to hinder you in your pursuit of righteousness and the sin which so easily entangles us, pulling us down, cutting us off from the life of God. For the joy set before him who endured the cross, meaning all of those things that were seeking to hinder him, to keep him from approaching it, the devil just never gave up from the temptation in the desert that's saying, come on, just do this, just do this, just do this. And he's like, no, no, I'm staying focused. I know who I am. I know what I'm called to. I'm not giving into that stuff. Your and my problem is we give into that stuff. Is that right? That's how we fall. That's how we fail. That's how we experience calamity in our lives. So you have not come to the point, uh, resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Now, here's, here's, here's a, my interpretation out of that. Ready for that? Persisting to the agony of sweating blood in overcoming everything meant to hinder us. I want to tell you in the garden when it says about Jesus that he's praying and, and he, was, he was literally sweating what appeared to be drops of blood. 
Now, there's all kinds of things about corpuscles and all the things, the dynamics of scientifically what might have happened. But what I'm telling you is there was great agony because the devil is right there kind of trying to convince him that, that, that you don't have to do this. It's not necessary. It ain't going to make any difference. Daddy's going to forget about you. You're going to die on the cross like everybody who's gone before you. And so he's there and he literally says in the moment of that kind of, uh, of persisting, see, to the sweating of blood, and he says, Father, if possible, let this cup pass before me. That's the agony of the soul. When he's trying to, he knows, and he's being hindered, and it's just trying to take him off of, get his eyes off of what his real mission is. But, but bless God, because he has wholehearted surrender. It's just the way he's always done. He's made a life out of total obedience to God. So it was only a fleeting second that he had that, and then he said, but nonetheless... No, no break. It wasn't a change of sentence. It wasn't a change of context. It was right in line. But nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. Folks, that's one of the best things you could possibly do to live an unhindered life is a continual surrender to the purpose of God as he's already made known and made clear. Most of us, we're not ignorant. We, don't, we, we know what God wants of us. We have a picture of holiness, of righteousness, of, of rightness. We have a sense of what real morality is, that we're supposed to live a value system and some principles. And if not, it's in our workplaces and it's in our schools and it's in our environment all around us. And yet, what are we all doing? Scrambling to have our own way and to kind of cheat the system. Somehow find a way to get away with something. Any of you found that doing that in your former life was kind of exciting almost to get away with it, to go 63 miles an hour in the 55, you know? And when you see the cop that you slowed down before he got you on radar or something. (laughs) First Kings 11 says this. I'm going to bring all these down to some five. I think I've got it down to five points at the very end. When Solomon was old, it says his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Now, we've been on a progressive thing. We were talking about King Saul three weeks ago. And last week we talked about King David and how King David did certain things. And he was known as a man after God's own heart. And now this week, I just wanted to throw in Solomon. Because what we have is we have this thing where we ought to learn. We ought to learn from somebody else's mistakes. That's a great uh, application of wisdom if we'll learn from what we see that went wrong somewhere else, girls, you don't have to make the mistake. You can watch somebody else and say, uh-uh, ain't no way I'm doing that. See? How many of you done that in your life and you came through better for it? Because you saw calamity, you recognized it, and you said, no, no, I know not to do that. So here it is, is in this case, what hindered Solomon was his wives. Now, that's not to say that wives hinder their husbands. You get it? But I'm going to tell you, there's a passage that actually says that. Wives can hinder your husbands? Oh, yeah. Husbands, husbands can be crippled. It's First Peter 3. You guys know it. Some of you know it from one of the great marriage things, especially when you want your wives to submit. 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 I'm the king of the house. Submit. Woman, get in line with God. Submit. Boy, I'll bet some of you know that your, your wife really wears the pants. Huh? Some of you ladies, you know that's exactly right. You wear the pants and you just allow him to think he's the boss. Huh? 
Well, you know I don't let Arlene run my household. First Peter says this. I will pay for that for the next week. First Peter chapter 3 says this. In the same way, you husbands. Now, I'm leaving out. I'm starting verse 7. So I'm leaving out the first parts. It's talking about the duties of the, the wives specifically. Um, I'm coming to the point of because I've just been mean to the women. So I'm just skipping that, okay? Guys know that portion of Scripture. And so do you women because it's been hammered. So in verse 7, it starts where I'm going. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered because Papa doesn't like it when you're messing with this little girl. Get it? So here's an important word that I want to introduce. It maybe is the whole crux of the message, really. And that's this word hamstrung. How many of you know what hamstrung means? Hamstrung. Well, reach down while you're there. Reach down. You're sitting. There's this, uh, there's this uh, right there. Fill that big old tendon. Go ahead. Fill, fill it. Grab a hold of it. It's almost like your Achilles tendon, you know, down by your ankle. But grab a hold of that. That's, that's, that's a big tendon, okay? So I want to give you something here. To be hamstrung. Have you ever heard of that? There was actually a military strategy was to cut the Achilles heel and it would cripple the enemy. The other one is you could do that to a slave. You could do that to somebody as a, a penalty that when that hamstring, when you, when you cut that, that uh, tendon, it would limit them, keep them from being able to run away, to climb, jump, do a lot of other things. So to be hamstrung... Sometimes that's what happens. So it's a large tendon. The hamstring is a large tendon. You ever see a football player running down? It could happen in basketball, but I usually see football. And they're running, and all of a sudden, you know, they can't do it. You know, it's like that. And, and that's how they, they pull the hamstring. You'll hear the announcer say, they pulled a hamstring. Oh, great. Now I'm looking like this. Hamstring. The worst part of that is you're on national TV. Here's what the science dictionary says. A powerful group of muscles at the back of the thigh that arise in the hip and pelvis and insert as strong tendons behind the knee. So that means they come together at that point behind the knee. The hamstring bends the knee and helps to straighten the hip. Does that sound right, Dr. Jeff? So what happens is you can be... I said doctor so that everybody in here took his word for it, okay? But he does know what he's talking about. So here's the thing, is that that would be the way cutting this would render a person or an animal lame. You see, there's one good kind of lame, which is actually not lame, which is that wrestling with God that you might come out of it with, an, with a limp. See, that kind, that's a good thing, because that usually means God's going to do something He's going to have his way. You learn to surrender to his authority, to his power, to who he is. Hamstrung means to cripple by cutting the hamstring, to ruin or thwart, to disable, render useless, to hinder or sever our spiritual walk, to eliminate us from the great race. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to eliminate you from the great race. He wants to take you 
out of contention. That's what his plan is. So how does he do that? He's throwing everything he's got to hinder you in your life and in your walk. And sometimes we're just way too easy. We just pull out the credit card. We just do things in our own natural abilities and our own strength. And that's, that's part of the problem sometimes. See, in 1 Peter 3, 7, here's an application of what I just told you about being hindered because it says your prayers would be hindered if you don't honor your wife. So you will not limp along in life so that she has to carry you. Get it? So you will not be hindered, meaning you will not limp along in life where your wife has to throw her up over your shoulders and carry you. You ever see people who's like that? Huh? The wife's running the show. Why is that? Because the man has been weak. The man is so hindered that he can't do the things that a man does. And you know what usually happens when a man gets like that? He has to compensate. He has to try to overcome that by looking macho and by, by being mean or different things that he might do to kind of sh- try to be in charge. All the time he's really frustrated. His anger comes from within because he knows that, you know, she's got the best of it because he's allowed himself to be so hindered that he's lame and she's having to carry him. Hmm. I should change that to make it sound better so people would say, wow, amen. That's just a real truth, isn't it? Because here's what the the Bible says, is that the strong man can't come in, the thief can't come in and, and rob and steal, kill and destroy in your house unless he first bind the strong man. So what he does is he takes the man who's the spiritual head of the house, who's supposed to be the stronger one, and he makes you utterly weak and lame to the point it's no big deal to come in and have his way. Say, now there's an application. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, verse 8 of 1 Peter. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. In other words, humility will be one of those things that will keep you from being hindered. We'll cover that in just a minute. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Well, I see that on Facebook sometimes. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will bless you for it. Hey, look at your neighbor and say, he's called you to be a blessing. Amen? So do it. Scripture says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, this is verse 10, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Two other things that will hinder your, your walk. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Work to maintain it. You may as well say, cultivate farms, sow seeds, pull weeds, um, 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 what's that other word? Fertilize it, say nurture it, and harvest it. That's what's going to happen. But you've got to sow it. So sowing peace, you'll reap peace. Get it? Work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. In verse 12, he's literally saying, coming back to what he said in verse 7, talking about your prayers will be hindered. See? So the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. If you don't want your prayers hindered, do right. See? Because the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. doesn't say that he turns their back. He doesn't abandon them. It says that they don't have the direct eye-to-eye 
You know how you can tell when somebody's talking to you or somebody's listening to you? Yeah, they're looking at you. Right here, right here, right here. You get it? You get it? And what are they? Yeah. So guess what? We want God. We want to be looking at his face. We want to say, I know I'm looking in your face. I can see your gaze and you're listening and you're hearing me because you're honored in my life and you have an ear to hear me. Wow. Thank you, God. So what in area in your life do you need set free? What is hindering you? What's hindering you? Maybe you need legal pads instead of post-its. That's all wiped out just like that. The accusation, Hezekiah in the Old Testament takes it, the threats of the enemy, and he takes it and he lays it out before the Lord, and he says, what are you going to do about that, God? In the bulletin it says, name one or two things that mess you up spiritually. Is there anything in your life that you have never fully surrendered to God? And what I mean by that is you grabbed it again. So we're real good with giving it to God, and then we take it back later on. And he says, give that to me. When Jesus asks, do you want to be made well, what will be your answer, or will you give an excuse? You know, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. You don't understand my life, my upbringing. My parents, it's hard. So, get over your bad old self. How's that for mercy and compassion? How has mercy and compassion served you in the past? And what it usually does is it can put you into a little mamby-bamby place where you never come to some sort of, what do I want to call it? Strength, savvy. Fortitude. How about endurance? Romans talks about endurance. That's what persecution and trials does. So the more you strive against sin, the more you struggle about, about life in general, the things that hinder you, that keep coming up as stumbling blocks. Remember Jesus said, stumbling blocks are going to come. Woe to him through who the stumbling block comes. You know what he, he says? It's going to be better for him that a millstone be taken and put around his neck and he'd be cast into the deepest of the ocean. It's going to, because you know why? You don't know who you're messing with. That's what he says. You've forgotten who you're messing with. That's my kid. Stumbling blocks will come, but woe to him through whom the stumbling block comes. So let me tell you that as bad as you hate the things that hinder you in your life, God hates them even more. Here it is, five things. Some of the greatest hindrances Christians face. Some of the greatest hindrances Christians face. Now, let me ask you this before I start giving to giving to you. And my, my ranking is just what this is, my ranking, okay? Based on some of the scriptures I've already given you. Who would want to fall in line and finish behind a lame Christian? Somebody who's been hamstrung, somebody who's just kind of limping along in their Christian, Christian walk, no joy, full of despair, continually beating around that same old bush of, the things that you're having to confess continually. Who would want to follow that? Who would want to finish, fall in line, and finish behind a lame Christian? Meaning slower than their own pace or less than their talent, skill, or ability level. See what I mean? Because for me, it was all about climbing the ladder of business and, and, and being successful as I had identified success. And So to me, I was always looking for somebody that had something that I didn't have. See, that was a little bit higher, further, deeper, greater, bigger. Get it? 
Those are the people I wanted to emulate. That's what I wanted. Keeping up with the Joneses, I was all into that. Matter of fact, I wanted to be the Jones. You see? God changed all of that. But here's the deal that never left me, is the pursuit of something that is greater than, not something that is less than. See, that's greatness of God that he puts into you that doesn't leave you into the place of settling. This is all I'm going to be. Well, I've worked hard enough. No, no, it's, there's still more stairs to climb. Still, let's keep our hand to the plow. Still, let's keep him that he's the one that we're looking at and we're following after with everything we've got. Not holding back, not looking for any reserves. At the end of the day, I want to be fully exhausted, fully invested, so that at the end of the day, when I lay my head down on the pillow, just me and him, those two, that I know that I gave it all. And I know because I gave it all, he's working on my behalf. And he's keeping the evil one at bay. Here it is. First one is sin. Would I say Hebrews 12 about the sin that so easily besets us or entangles us? So there's two things that it covers, which takes it all the whole realm. One is if it's ignorant or willful sin. Doesn't matter. If you're ignorant of it, oh, I didn't know that was sin. Or if it's innocent or presumptuous. See, it can be an innocent sin, but immediately, now my sister is really in a, a quagmire. Can you say quagmire? Well, say it kind of like quagmire. That's almost like a Jimmy Stewart, huh? Quagmire. So a quagmire would be that, gosh, I kind of betwixt in between here. What do you mean? That means that, you know, if I do or if I don't, um, gee, I, I smoke and I still got the urge, but now I've got this thing that this conviction that says it's a sin and I'm killing myself and I shouldn't be because I'm a Christian. <laughs> I'm just smoking fingers now. Why? Because that urge is so real. Bless Todd's heart. He's, he's smoking electronic cigarettes. Who would have thunk? Electronic cigarettes. Do you know what it's doing? It's helping him to weed back and cut back on cigarettes. And you know what? I could be like, oh, come on. You just need to be full of the Holy Spirit and stop that and get over it now. And guess what that does for him? Nothing. Makes him smoke another pack. So you know what? Innocent or presumptuous, either way, we have this hindrance in our life, which is sin, And God's taking care of the sin issue. And what we need to do is recognize God is taking care of the sin issue in Jesus Christ. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. And there's the way of righteousness. It's a narrow path. It means that some of this stuff, baggage of my life, the things I want to bring along on this Christian journey just can't go because the road isn't big enough. It's not wide enough. See? And he knows that in the end, that just, that's like drag. You ever been to a tractor thing? Tractor pull. And then further they drive down and pretty soon that weight starts to shift from back there to right up here. And then smoke and stuff happens. Right? That makes you want to go to a tractor pull, doesn't it? So here's what it is. Is that in that case, it's kind of that thing that will, it'll continue. So the best thing is, he says, give me that. Take that off and put on this. Second one, a religious spirit. 
Ooh, ouch, that hurts. A religious spirit. Luke eleven fifty two to 54 is one of the best examples of this. So I'm going to read that and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to define a few things about a religious spirit because I can tell you that I've had it before. Been there. Even as a, as a born-again Christian full of the Holy Spirit, I've been in the place where I got a religious spirit. I want to help you all with that because some of you might have it. I'm going to keep my eyes on down here when I'm saying all these things. What sorrow awaits you, experts? This is Jesus talking. What sorrow awaits you, experts in religious law? For you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves, and you prevent others from entering. I want to tell you that same prevent is cutting the, 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 the uh, being hamstrung. That's cutting, cutting the tendon, not allowing them to be able to walk and pursue it. He says it another way. You bind up heavy loads, you put it on the people, and you yourself are not willing to lift a finger. Oh, you're the one always telling them what they're supposed to do, but you hypocrites, you don't have it in your own stinking life. Verse 53. As Jesus was leaving, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. Provoke, same kind of word, is hinder. Trying to hinder him. You ever have somebody say words to you that you know is just provoking you? And it's almost like, I'm about to take off my pastor cap and jump all up in your business. You know what I'm saying? It's it's like, no, wait a minute. You know, I am, but I was. I used to be. I could cut you. (laughs) So here's what it says. They tried to provoke him with many questions. They wanted to trap him into saying something they could use against him. See, somebody who has a religious spirit, they're, they're looking for things. They're nitpicking. They're the ones that are looking for the, the little piece of uh, a lint in your eye. See? Or the splinter, and they've got the big, ginormous, where'd you get that light pole? See what I mean? And that's what happens. Those are the religious people because they've got it in their own life, but almost like to overcome, like the husband who wants to control his wife and beat her down because she's the one carrying him and he doesn't like that really. That person who has the big old telephone pole in their eye, they want to nitpick you and they want to talk about your unrighteousness. Your unrighteous, unrighteous, unrighteous. How dare you? And what is their spiritual walk like? Well, we don't really want to look at that because... We want to keep a right heart toward our brother or sister or somebody we might know. But the truth is, part of their wrath on me is their own conviction. Oh, so God's dealing with you, is he? That's a nice way to come back on those things, by the way. So here's what it is. A religious spirit, just a few. I only picked out five things real quick. Critical, they're self-right or self-righteous and self-promoting. They're usually telling you what they know. And as a matter of fact, many times it'll happen in in church. I'm glad nobody's really doing this this morning. But it means while the preacher's preaching, they're normally telling him what what he's going to say next and what he's really trying to talk about, what I ought to be talking about, and what the real application should be. And when they listen on the... the, the, You can listen to Andy Stanley or Charles Stanley or, you know, the Three Stooges. And what you come up with is some way that they should have done something better and different and the real application of it. Oh, I heard this one time. And they become an authority in and of themselves. And what it does is is you can tell the religious spirit because it lacks humility. 
It's always self-promoting. So, critical, self-righteous, self-promoting. The other is condescending. You, you've heard it said this way, holier than thou. Do I seem holy, Maddie? Do I seem holier than thou? Does it make you feel like you should have kissed my hand instead of giving me a hug? Is that how you talk when you go around other people and you hold yourself in such a way? It's very pious looking. It's meant to evoke some sort of respect and that you would be enamored with deep appreciation for. What do you think? Yuck. That's what God says. Gag me with a spoon. So it's condescending, which usually means I'm up here and you're down there holier than thou. How about feigned interest? You know what feign to feign interest means? Pretend. Oh, I can't. I tell you, I wasn't even saved yet. So I was still in the cut you with the knife state. But I was, I was going to this church and this pastor come up and he was this. He made everybody feel good. And he'd tell me, hey, what's going on, brother? How's everything going? And I was like, God's really doing some amazing stuff. And as I started to tell him, he's doing this thing. He should have been just kind of tapping his fingers going. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's doing this thing. Uh, you know, I can't even get it because I don't want to. Um, but instead of looking at me, he's looking past me. And he's searching the room out. And I'm like, and um, God, he spoke this and he really, and then all of a sudden I had a million dollars. And you're in a building campaign. And then I caught his glimpse again. And I thought, right there, I will never do that to another person. Because of what it felt for me. Now, you know what happens? I'll come down here at the end of service and somebody... Somebody in the room that I need to say hi to, that I feel compelled, that I want to connect with, you're going to be here. And what's going to happen is you're going to be on your way out of here. And I'm going to be caught with somebody by Burdette. I love you, Burdette. But we know each other and we can hang out anytime. I don't have that relationship with somebody else. And what I realize is I'll be like, yeah, but they're, they're going. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so what will happen is I'll be like, oh, can you hold on just a minute? And I'll fly for there, and then I'm five, ten minutes later, I might remember Burdette. I don't mean to offend you when I do that, but it's almost like for us is we got to recognize the need, that this is a presenting need right now, but there's others that would just walk away, that won't say anything. And folks, that's part of, for us being the body, is all of us to recognize that kind of stuff above our own needs. So what's that got to do with feigned interest? That means not really listening, caring. I love that. that what'd you say? Pretending, not really listening, don't really care. Remember, we're dangerous with that, with our hugs and shakes and high fives. How you doing? <laughs> well, my house almost burned down. I don't have any property, but <laughs> good. Everything's wonderful. We'll come back to that offering, by the way. All right, ready? The next one. Third is how about Attitude. First Peter 3, 7, and 8, he said, have this attitude in yourself, the kind of attitude that what? Will lead to the blessing of God. Part of that attitude is called stubbornness. How many of you are stubborn? Come on. You're stubborn. 
Some of you might say you're holy persistence. (laughs) It's not. It's just stubborn. You know the root of stubbornness is arrogance. Do you know that? (laughs) The root? We're getting in a fight up here. We need security. (laughs) The root of stubbornness is arrogance. If you really think about it, stubborn means I think my way is better or my way is best. Uh, I don't need your help. Thank you very much. It's the opposite of absolute surrender. Not my will, but yours be done. And then the other attitude is independence, which means isolation versus unity. That's part of the attitude that can hinder us in our spiritual walk. Stubbornness. Independence. Independence literally leads you to, I'll do it my, myself. I don't need anybody. God says, yes, you do. That's why I put them here. Fourth is relationships. Relationships. Oh, boy. Teens are going to hate me for this one. I didn't know you were going to be here this morning, so I'm, it's not my fault. First Kings chapter 11. Remember Solomon's wives? Supposed to not have all these wives, and yet he was making contracts with kings of other nations, and they brought their own little gods with them. That's what caused, caused Solomon to mess up in the end. Not because he had a wife. A wife is a blessing. Cherished the best part of my life. And all the men said, me too, yes. Here's what, what happens is, is with wicked relationships, okay, relationships gone awry, And that's the thing called soul ties. Some of you have heard of soul ties. Some of you know what a soul tie is. It literally means is that when you lay with one another, that there is an exchange that happens in the spiritual realm where you end up with a deposit of that person's spirit in you and you in them. That's called a soul tie. It's bondage. It's the same thing as being handcuffed together. It's a perversion of what God has that two people would be married and come together in a spiritual union. And now they've got this tie that binds together for the rest of their life. That's what God, that's a holy soul tie, that the two become one. But literally, when you sleep with others, when you, I even go as far as I call it, swap and spit. Swapping spit. Oh, yummy. How many are we going to do that to? How about the idea like Joel and Gina where I'm not going to kiss. We're not going to kiss until our wedding. Wedding when he says you may now kiss your bride. And now, oh, it'll knock your socks off. I'm telling you, it's not too late to make a difference and say, I'm not doing that anymore. Because that swap and spit stuff, that got to me. It made me sick. It should. That's what I wanted. That's what mom wanted. No, mom didn't pay me for that. How about this? Under relationships, it's called blended morality. Blended morality, meaning with slippery people. You ever known somebody who's slippery? Matter of fact, some uh, Jason, you were talking about it last night. Did I see Jason? There he is. You're talking about it. The, the guys who come out and they're trying to give tools away, and they're doing it right under the noses of the bosses and things. This stuff happens in businesses all around. 
We use them and then we discard it. But we didn't really discard it. It still has value. So what we did is we can get another pair. We get some more gloves. We get some glasses. We get the things because it's all, it's part of, it's part of the tools that I need for the trade. Well, that's called stealing. Stop it. Somebody else offers it to you. You ought to tell them it's stealing and tell them you're not okay with that. And it might put some fear into them about what's appropriate, what's not. Blended morality, slippery people, bad character. Come on, you guys know the scripture says, you know, what do you have to do with all these perverted characters? What do you have to do with those questionable ones? Those ones that you know, uh, it's not like they're mostly good. Nah, it's like they got major flaws. It's kind of 50-50. Well, which half are you going to end up with? How about both? That's blended morality. God wants you to make a decision for what's right. He wants you to stay on that place. He doesn't want you deceived. He doesn't want you wavering. He doesn't want you wandering around. He doesn't want you to be distracted and drawn away from his wholehearted devotion, which is what happened to Solomon. Supposedly, he's the wisest guy outside of Jesus himself in all of history, and yet go back and read the narrative of his life and what happened to him. And his daddy told him all along the way, you, as long as you obey the statutes, commands, precepts of the Lord. Walk this way, you'll always be blessed. Wow. What we know is in the end, when, when he had judgment coming, God said, because of your father, David, I will not bring this calamity in your day. But when you're gone, dude, I am splitting up the kingdom. It's, everything's going to fall. Your legacy is going to collapse. True story. All right. Worship team, why don't we come back up uh, while I read the last of Galatians here. These are all noted in the, in the, in the uh, bulletin, by the way, the scriptures that I'm using. I'm just going to call on a couple highlights because I, 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 want to end, I want us to end with Psalm 40, which is coming up. How many of you have heard um, about zero tolerance? Zero tolerance. What does zero tolerance mean? Do you know what zero tolerance means? No excuses. What else? Uh, Anything or not anything goes. Zero tolerance. No compromise. It means if you get caught, like in the school system, if I'm right, somebody's here, correct me if I'm wrong. In the school system, actually, let me turn there because I got it written down. Let me find where is it. Zero tolerance. It says here, swift action and dire consequence for any violation, the smallest infraction to the greatest crime. So what it means is that you can have a toy gun, and if it's zero tolerance policy, if you can take in some sort of, sometimes some of these policies are against uh, Tylenol, against cough drops, against all kinds of things like that. You're not supposed to have anything that is uh, considered as a drug. Could even be mouthwash. Kids try all kinds of things, don't they? And so what it is, zero tolerance means if you're caught with this, that you'll end up, you could face suspension. And I had that experience in mind. There were stories about, there was just recently a uh, uh, five-year-old kindergartner suspended for 10 days for what school officials labeled a terrorist threat. Her crime? Saying she wanted to shoot a classmate and herself with a Hello Kitty bubble, bubble gun. Now, that's the extreme side, and I'm using it for this. Because sometimes these arguments, I've got 16 pages of education news and stuff that talks about punish but don't destroy. And this, this really good girl, could have been one of our girls this morning, this girl named Lisa Smith. 
And she ended up, she put some, uh, it says grain alcohol in a, uh, diet, in a Coke bottle, uh, mixed with Coke, and she took it to, uh, to school. And it says that, um, let's see, an honor student, a cheerleader, and a student council member at a middle school in Dallas. She played violin in the school orchestra, won awards at the science fair, and had just finished a highly praised project on the Holocaust for an honors history class. Hmm. One mistake later, the eighth grader who has never known trouble faces five months in a military-style boot camp. Her offense? She violated the school's zero-tolerance policy by bringing to school a 20-ounce bottle of Cherry 7-Up mixed with a few drops of grain alcohol. Under the school's policy, officials say they were compelled to give the academic death sentence to Lisa, 14, even if her only other trip to the principal's office was to organize a fundraiser. So it says that their all-or-nothing approach. Then it says much criticism is aimed at the districts with the most rigid policies. Kids have been kicked out of school for possession of Midol, Tylenol, Alka-Seltzer, cough drops, and scope mouthwash, contraband that violates zero-tolerance anti-drug policies. So it goes on and it says that ultimately this girl who was facing this there was another girl, same day, says, brought to a school a mix of Kool-Aid and Bacardi rum. Along with Lisa's concoction of 7-Up and grain alcohol, they created quite a stir in the school's cafeteria as students passed the drinks around. Eleven girls got expelled. The girl who brought the rum accepted her sentence of expulsion in boot camp. Eight students said they didn't know the drinks contained alcohol. Convenient. And their expulsions were overturned. One moved away. Lisa hired a, a lawyer. Her parents agreed that she should have been punished. They took away all her privileges, telephone, TV, stereo, reduced her room to just a desk and bed. Expulsion and boot camp? The punishment far exceeds the severity of the crime, says her father, a quality assurance inspector for an aerospace company. Well, let me tell you that when it comes down to how much accurate or, or how, how fine the line you want to have if you're an aerospace company, I'd rather that shuttle be totally 100%, not 99%. See? Punish her, yes, but don't destroy her. She made one mistake. She's not a a juvenile delinquent, says her mother. So it says, Lisa says, she stupidly brought the alcohol to school on a whim. Say, whim. How about, whim, whim, just a whim. Just a whim. Oh, I feel a whim coming on just to see if she could get away with it. Hello. She poured the alcohol into the Cherry 7-Up while her mother waited for her in the car. Now she fears that her academic destiny will be permanently damaged by the severity of her punishment. She says, I'm not a very physical person. Just the idea of boot camp scares me. Well, we could say you should have thought about that. It's not like, gosh, I found this. I don't know who put it there. But then I realized it had some grain alcohol, so I got... No, no, it's premeditated to the point where while your mom's waiting, she's sneaking the grain alcohol into her beverage, right? Here's what I'm saying this for, folks. In this case, we come down to a point where that's part of what happens for a Christian is we begin to determine that there's a whole lot of things that aren't really all that bad. Oh, it's not that bad. It's only a small, small sin. Oh, I'm not hurting anybody, just me. We're going to sing a song, which is a new song, I want to tell you, that, uh, what's the name? The title is Chains. 
Break every chain. Folks, I'm going to give you the altar call right now that I want you to respond. I want you to be able to come to the altar. I want you to bow before God so as to prostrate yourself to say, hey, God, take this thing from me. It has had me for way too long in its grasp. It has hindered my life. I feel like I'm limping along as a Christian, and that's not what you have for me. It says, I waited and waited and waited for God, Psalm 40. At last he looked. Finally, he listened. He lifted me out of the ditch, pulled me from the deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song, a praise song to our God. More and more people are seeing this. They enter the mystery, abandoning themselves to God. Blessed are you who give yourselves over to God. Turn your backs on the world's sure thing. Ignore what the world worships. The world's huge stockpile of God wonders and God thoughts. Nothing and no one comes close to you. I start talking about you, telling what I know, and quickly run out of words. Neither numbers nor words account for you. Doing something for you, bringing something to you, that's not what you're after. Being religious, acting pious, that's not what you're asking for. You've opened my ears so I can listen. So I answered, I'm coming. I read in your letter what you wrote about me, and I'm coming to the party you're throwing for me. That's when God's word entered my life, became part of my very being. Folks, that's the secret to living an unhindered life, is letting God's word come fully into your heart. And if you don't have that this morning, all I know is to put you in a posture up here, not not standing up looking for somebody to comfort you, but rather bowed down and humbling yourself and saying, God, please put your word deep within me that I might not sin against you. Amen? The last one is, I believe it's on the wall. It's out of Hebrews 4.13. It's a sign in there above Becky's desk. I don't know if Joel or Becky did it, but I loved it. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. And then this phrase that takes it to action. I believe God sees everything, even my thoughts and attitudes. And my lifestyle reflects that. Does your lifestyle reflect the fact that there's two at the end of the day? Who knows? You and God. Here's what you do. This isn't a condemning message at all. It's actually one of great victory. It's, one of, uh, it's a song of deliverance about to come over you in the house. You know what he wants? He wants you to know victory like you've never known in your life. He wants you to know freedom like you've never had in your life. He wants you to have joy like you can only used to get through puffing on something or drinking something. He wants it to last more than a night. He doesn't want you creating some sort of weird habit out of it. He wants you to have a lifestyle of it. He doesn't want it to be a sometime thing. He wants it an all-the-time thing. He wants it literally to get in you so that what permeates in out of your life, when somebody cuts you, you just bleed Jesus. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll worship. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I agree. I've done what I can this morning, God, to, to proclaim the truth of your word and God, to to impart life message, it's what your word is. And I agree that you, by your Holy Spirit, will take that and infuse it, God, and cause it to go in, and, and it runs through our veins. It accesses our brains, touches our heart, 
and transforms our life. So bring it, God. Bring it. We welcome, God, that conviction. And we agree, even as we're singing these last couple worship songs, that, God, uh, you're doing a work in us that we may not even be able to comprehend or understand. But, God, it'll be said of us. Others will say, hmm, that's interesting. We're really seeing there's something going on. You're changing. And, God, we'll be able to lift our eyes to heaven and say, thank you, Savior. So, God, speak to us even in our last time of worship here. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Your love never fails and never gives up.